All right, let's pray together, and then we'll jump into our uh, equip class today. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it really is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you that the truth that Danny preached this morning was the truth that our hearts needed. And I'm sure in this room, there are lots of us in very different places with very different joys and very different trials. And we pray that you would take that truth that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. There's no condemnation. There's no accusation. Lord, that those things would sink deep into our hearts. And even as we go through the ups and downs of this week, that your presence and the gospel would sustain us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6. If you're just joining us, we're doing a quick series in November on the promises of God. I'm calling it Anchored to the Promises of God. And if you've ever been part of a storm, uh, storms are fun as long as you're not in the middle of them. As long as they're not too severe, right? Snow is beautiful until you're driving in six inches of dumping snow. Uh, if you've ever, I, I, I kind of like watching videos of tornadoes, but if you're ever in the presence of one, then you recognize, right, that it can be a terrifying thing. Uh, in Indiana, we used to be part of thunderstorms, and where a place is big and flat, they just kind of roll in, and you can see them coming. You can actually see, like, the sheets of rain coming in. And then there was a phenomenon there that I haven't experienced anywhere else where I lived, where it felt like the lightning was in your house. Like it would light up and you'd be like, I think that was in our house. And uh, if you want to go online and see some amazing videos, there's some tremendous stuff on storms. I can't show any of them in a quip class. Anybody want to guess why? Yeah, there's language in the middle of storms that I can't show in a quip class, <laughs> right? I saw a very funny uh, video with Jimmy Fallon, if you know who that is, and Kevin Hart riding a terrifying roller coaster together. It's been viewed 96 million times. Uh, I can't show it in here. Um, so that's because the reality of fear, people react, don't they? And sometimes even as Christians in the storms of life, our tent is going everywhere. And so the hope in this little November class is that we'll take some tent pegs and put them in the ground with truth about who God is and what that means for our lives so that when the storms of life whip around... Our, our tent is secure. And so we talked last week about one of those promises, and we'll talk about another one this week. What is a promise? I love this, this little synopsis. God's promises are the assurances that he gives his people so they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. They help us continue to follow God uh, and, and stay by what God has called us to do and to be. So, here's the cool thing. God is a promiser. It's part of his nature. Go to Hebrews 6 if you're not there. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 6. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. You know what God's saying? I have plans to do things and I'm going to do them. But in case you were doubting, I want to make sure you're convinced. When he wanted to do that, he guaranteed it with an oath. So it's like God stacked a, a, a promise on top of a promise, a commitment on top of a commitment. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God is a promiser. He loves to make promises to secure your heart as you follow him. I mean, just think about the story of the Bible 
and how filled it is with promises. Right? I mean, if we just fast forward from here to like a bunch of different people, and this doesn't even begin to fill the record of God's promises. But what was the promise that God made to Eve? This is the promise we looked at last week. God will send a what? A savior. One who would crush Satan and forgive our sins. God made a promise to Eve. What was the promise he made to Noah after the flood? He never destroyed the earth again with a flood. And every time we see a rainbow, it's a reminder of that promise. What was the promise he made to Abraham? Yeah, that he would, he would have many descendants, even though at the, that point in time he was old and had no children. What other promises did he make to Abraham? He would have this uh, nation would come from him and his wife. What would that nation eventually have? A land. God promised a land. And what would eventually happen through that nation and ultimately through Jesus? Blessing. God would bless all the nations of the earth. God made all those promises to Abraham. And he didn't just make them once. He like kept reminding him, these are my promises to you. What did he promise the people of Israel while they were in Egypt? He would deliver them. He would rescue them. And he did that through the plagues and through Moses. What did he promise to the people of Israel as they entered the promised land? Building on his promise to Abraham. I'll give you the promised land, right? As you enter, I will give it to you. All right, we're going to look at one of those moments uh, actually this morning. Similarly, he promised to Joshua, as you lead the people, I'll give you success, right? As you follow me. What did he promise David and his children, his descendants? Yeah, that they would sit on the throne of Israel, that there would always be a son of David. And ultimately that fulfillment comes in Christ, right? So this is just like touching the surface of the promises that come through God's word. God wants us to have his promises and to hold on to them. Did you see that in Hebrews 6? Look at this, verse uh, 18. So that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Look up at verse 11. Again in Hebrews 6. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So God wants us to hold on to our faith. And then look at this so that you may not be sluggish. Why else has God given us his promises? So we wouldn't slow down. So we wouldn't get bogged down. So we wouldn't get lazy in following him. So that we would keep pressing on. One of my favorite promises is at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know, here's the promise, what? Your labor is not in vain in him. And you know why I need that promise? Because sometimes it feels vain. When we have a three-year-old, everything we do right now feels vain. I mean, it was like all the way like one, zero to two, he's like getting new skills and he, he's, he's gaining new responsibilities and he's learning new things. And like, isn't it cool as a parent, you're like, seeing him open new doors. He's learning how to walk up and down the stairs and put like, go every other foot. He's like getting all these skills. At three, it's all coming apart. Like every boundary is up for negotiation. Every behavior, it's just like coming out. And in that moment, and I know I feel this way like 10% and my wife feels this way like 110%. It feels like your labor is in vain. We're just going to lose. I'm raising a criminal. 
Like, that's, that's what's happening. It feels that way right now. I was telling somebody the other day, nobody tries to raise a brat, but I feel like we're succeeding. You know, it's just like, that's the moment we're living in. And uh, Colleen went over to Carmen's house last night. Uh, so we have different ladies in the church over the course of the months that bake the communion bread. And so Carmen did it last night. And uh, Colleen and Timothy went over there last night to help with that. And Carmen said this morning, I just need to encourage you. Your son is so sweet. And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about. (laughs) Why? Because there are moments that it really feels like our labor is in vain. And we kind of want to do a half-baked job at parenting. Or we just want to take a break from serving. We just need some space from this following God and being committed thing. And God is saying, don't be sluggish. Like, keep on running the race. You say, but I don't see the results. Right, that's why we have God's promises. So, like, keep at it. And hopefully my son won't grow up to be a criminal. Um, So that's where we are. So we approach God's promises like this. I know what God is going to do. I don't know when or how. Have you ever felt that way? I don't know how God's going to provide. I don't know how he's going to lead us. The clock is running out. The resources are running low. I don't know when or how. I remember after the Ogdens moved here and everything was all set up for Chad's job and then you'd been here six months and the company, was it that long? Three months. Chad, they've been here three months. The company said, great, you're great to relocate to Utah. You have a job with our company and you can do it remotely and so that'll work perfect. And three months after they got here, moved their whole family from South Carolina across the country. Um, His company that he'd been working for 17 years, 15 years, his company said, yeah, that remote thing isn't really going to work, but you can relocate to one of our other offices, you know, a thousand miles away or 500 miles away. And Chad was like, no, we moved here on purpose. We talked about this and there, you know, the rug came out and then he went through six months, nine months of unemployment, seven, (laughs) who's counting? Chad's counting. And we're like, God, I don't know what you're going to do here or when and how, but God is faithful. He keeps his promises. And the reason that a bunch of you sweat mm-hmm, is because you've lived it. I don't know when or how, but God's made me some promises and I can walk by faith until I see it. So that's where God's promises provide that stake for us. So that's what we're trying to do. We look at four promises of God to uh, secure our tents, if that, that would be the right illustration here. And so last week we looked at God's first and best promise, he would send a savior. Why is that God's best promise? It's our greatest need. need. Right? Like everything that Danny talked about this morning, the fact that we're Gospel Hope Church is built around this amazing truth. That the answer for our sin is not the good that we can do, it's a savior. The answer for the evil in our world and the mess that exists is not better education or better environments or more therapy or more medication. It's we need a savior. And I'm not saying all those things can't help, but they don't get to the root and solve our greatest need. And so Satan will one day be crushed. This world will be remade. Aren't you thankful for that? Like that hope that anchors your soul is that this isn't all there is. And this mess that I am now isn't all there is, and I don't have to solve it myself. There's a Savior, and so we looked at that last week. Let's look at a second promise. Go to Deuteronomy 31. God's second promise, I will be with you. Deuteronomy 31. We come to this section of our Bibles. It's the end of the first five books which is kind of a history up until the people of Israel 
go into the promised land. And this is the end of Moses. It's a time of transition and uncertainty. Listen to what God's word says, Deuteronomy 31. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. That's old. He was way into overtime, right? Wow. I am no longer able to go out and to come in. So I'm, I'm, I am, I, I hate to say I am useless, but I think he's saying like, I, this, I'm wrapping it up here. Like this, this is the end. It's a really nice poetic way of saying the re- result of the end of life. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord, your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. Listen to the certainty This is a promise, and this is how Moses is speaking to the people. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. Remember what God's done for you? He's going to do it again. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Look at, look at how Moses repeats this. Then Moses summoned Joshua. So he just said, God will be with you. Don't be afraid. Then he summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. There's the promise. He will not leave you or forsake you. By the way, why does God tell us that he will not leave us or forsake us? Why does he have to tell us that? Okay, how are we human? How does our humanness show up? Okay. Yeah, so we get frustrated, we get stressed. How does our humanness come out? Why does God have to tell us he won't leave us or forsake us? Fear, because we think he will. We think he might have. We think he might be missing this part of our life. Like, God, you were here for me from zero to two, but three, I don't know where you went. Or teens. (laughs) This is our, we need this reminder. God will be with you. Do not fear or be dismayed. We are creatures of fear, aren't we? Why do we fear? That's a, that's a big, wide question, so I take some big, wide answers. Why do we get afraid? We tend to think about, or we tend to believe about God, whatever our current circumstances are telling us. Okay, that's a great, we tend to believe about God, whatever our current circumstances are telling us. Why do we get afraid? What are some of the reasons we fear? Okay, and life can be filled with pain. What kinds of things can you lose in this life? What? What? Life, you can lose your life. What else can you lose? Okay, you can lose your relationship with your kids. It's terrifying. It's fearful. What else can you lose? You can lose the comforts of life, the things that you're used to enjoying. 
When Colleen and I moved to Colorado, we helped with a little church there, and they had a double-wide trailer that we could live in. That'll fix your expectations of a lot of things, just telling you. Seven-foot ceilings, which worked because we're only five-foot-four, um, but didn't work for most normal human beings, right? Whenever it rained, it smelled like a wet dog, right? It didn't have air conditioning, so we had to figure out a way to put a window unit in. And what do all those things feel like? Man, this is uncomfortable. But that can create fear. What if I lose these things that are comfortable to me? What else can we lose? Yeah. Other people can start to think things about us, true or untrue, that are very hurtful. What else? We can lose our health. It's funny how little you value your health when you're 20 and how much you value it when you're 60. Right? There's a lot of things we can lose. Fear is predominantly about what could happen in the future, isn't it? I'm not going to go down this road too much, but it's interesting, and we, sometimes we like blow past this, but a lot of the commands that remind us that God is with us, they actually tell us, don't be afraid and don't be what? Discouraged. So fear is about what could happen in the future. You know what discouragement is about? What did happen in the past. So, so I'm not sure I want to keep running this race, and I'm not sure I can trust God because of something from my past. So don't be afraid and don't get discouraged. God is with you. Here's a few faces of fear. This is in a haunted house. It's pretty awesome. By the way, it's not just ladies that get scared in a haunted house. There's some uh, strapping young men that are uh, a little terrified. And this is like the whole family experience right here. Right? I mean, fear is just this reality that we live with, young or old. I mean, if you went online and Googled fear, you could just see all these crazy things that people are afraid of, right? Like there's this thing called astraphophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning. Some of you have anthropophobia, you're just a fear of people. Aquaphobia, fear of water. Acrophobia, the fear of heights. Agoraphobia, the fear of open or public places. And those, that's just the letter A. Right? I mean, you just go on and on and on. It's a universal problem, but you know what? It's not one the Bible ignores. There's actually hundreds of references to people who are afraid. People like Hagar in Genesis 21, where God says to her, what troubles you, Hagar? And if you're reading the story, you're like, we're in the wilderness and we might die, me and my son. I'm terrified. And God says, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. As the Israelites are right on the edge of the Red Sea and about to get you know, butchered as they think. Moses says to them, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And the Bible is not unsympathetic to our fears. Is fear okay? There's another big question. When is fear good? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so we should have a right fear of God a reverence and awe, even when we think about his judgment apart from Jesus, a genuine fear. That ought to make us run to Jesus because we're like, if we had to stand before God without Jesus, it would be a terrifying thing. By the way, that ought to make us care about the people around us. When else is fear good? When you're standing next to the edge of the Grand Canyon, I feel like there are some tourists this past summer that should have been reminded 
right? There's a healthy fear of danger, but the Bible actually says we need to be aware of fear because a lot of times fear is not okay. And I love this summary. Faith says whatever it is, it'll be okay because of God. And fear just says it's just not going to be okay. So that's why Romans 8 says don't go back to living under the bondage of fear. And why 2 Timothy 1 famously says God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So I love the fact that Deuteronomy 31 doesn't ignore the dangers and the things ahead. It reminds us of how God was with us in the past, and it points us to follow him and be strong into the future, to parent with a three-year-old. Go to Hebrews chapter 13, one other place we see this promise. This promise is all through your Bibles, and you know why it's all through our Bibles? Because we need it a lot. Like, we just need to keep hearing this, not to be afraid. God is with you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. How can I do that when I fear losing comfort? How can I do that when I fear losing a job that provides right now? Or how can I do that in the midst of life? How can I be content? For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper I will not fear. What can man do to me? Sounds a little bit like Romans 8 that we looked at this morning, isn't it? If God is for us, and he is. I mean, I don't think I can make any more convincing a case than Danny did this morning. But can I just remind you that when you walk into those valleys, God draws near to you. He is with you. I mean, let's just think for two minutes. What does it actually mean that God is with you? God is everywhere present, isn't he? So this means more than that. It means that he's with you individually, personally. What does that mean? What are some things that that means? If God is with me, then he will do this or he will be this. Somebody give me one. If God is with me, then he will will provide for me. Right? Even when I don't know when and how, he will provide for me. Good. What else? If God is with me, he will guide me. He will lead me like a good shepherd. You ever been in a place where you needed guidance and you felt like it was way late in coming? And you're just praying and waiting and praying and waiting, but it's, has God ever failed to lead you? If he's with me, he will guide me. I may not know when and how, but he will. How, what else does it mean? He'll provide for me. He'll guide me. Protect. He'll protect me. Right? As the Israelites are standing on the edge of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is coming after them, God says, I'm with you. I'll protect you. Do you know when harm will come to you or when your life will end? In God's control. He is with you. I mean, we learn that even in the story of Job. Even in all the bad things Job goes through, God's presence, his being with Job is right there. What else does it mean? Protect, provide, guide. Anything else you can think of? God will pursue me. He'll draw near to me. You ever see God doing that, bringing your heart back to his word? You, you sense the spirit inside of you pulling you, right? Even sometimes when you don't want to be pulled, God is with you. What else does it mean? He'll fight for me. Man, don't we want to fight our own battles and fix our own problems? And sometimes God's just like, isn't that, there's a famous verse, right? Stand still 
and see the salvation of the Lord? But I want to fix it. How many of you are fixers? You want to fix everything? Yeah. God is with you. Sometimes you just need to stand still and let him. Let him fight for you. What else? Comfort. That was the other one I was thinking of. That God will comfort you. 2 Corinthians 1, I think, that God is able to comfort you in ways no one else can. And then he also, in his kindness, surrounds you with people who have been through hard stuff too, who are actually extra equipped to come comfort you. I mean, ladies, those of you who have been through the loss of a child, you know what that experience is like. And you can put your arms around another lady and comfort them in that time of loss in a, in a special way. God, God actually designed it that way. Men who have been through the loss of a job and the, the inability in, in that time to provide for your family and just that sense of failure, even as you make every effort, another guy who's been through that period of how many months, Chad? Seven, <laughs> right? But who's counting? Can go, hey, I know it's super hard. God is with you. He'll provide for you. He provided for my family and it was, it was hard and I, I hear you. So those are all the things that it means that God will be with you. But you know, God is everywhere, but he's not with everyone. God is everywhere present, but he is not for everyone. He's not with everyone in the same way. This is important for us to remember. Psalm 138, verse 6. Okay, so who is God not with in that sense, Kim? Yeah, the proud. People who think they can do it on their own. They don't have God with them in that same way. Psalm 66, 18. I cherish iniquity in my heart, Lord, without Okay. So if I'm continually living in sin and I don't want to deal with it, I just want to enjoy it and I think it's okay, then I'm distancing myself from God. James 4, verse 4. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, so if I want to live the way this world is saying is right, and I want to pursue all the pleasure that I can get a hold of, then I, I'm saying, God, I don't, I don't really care that you're with me or not. And Isaiah 1, 5 and 15. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. That's convicting, isn't it? That you can come and try to worship God, but if your heart is rebellious against him, he's far from you. So just a reminder, a promise you can stake your life to, God is with you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that it would stabilize, secure, strengthen our hearts against the storms of life. Thank you that you are with us. We do not need to fear. You are with us. We don't need to be discouraged. You are with us. You will provide, protect, guide, fight our battles. You will comfort us in our times of grief. Thank you for who you are. Please anchor our lives by faith to that truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.